All right. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors. So good to see you today. When I was in college, uh, I played a lot of video games. Y'all aren't very surprised by that, obviously. It's like, oh, all right. Yeah, so played a lot of video games. And one of the things we liked to play were the EA Sports uh, or Electronic Arts sports games, specifically Madden NFL. And so no matter where I was in the apartment, I would know that my roommate wanted to play a little bit of Madden NFL when I heard the signature EA Sports uh, thing that they did on their commercials. I don't know if you've heard it before, but it's like, EA Sports, it's in the game, right? And so he'd turn it up really loud, and I'd hear that from somewhere in the apartment, EA Sports, it's in the game. And I knew it was time for a, a throwdown on Madden NFL. Well, I, I want to tweak that a little bit today. Instead of EA Sports, it's in the game, I want it to be Common Ground, it's in the name, okay? Common Ground, it's in the name. And throughout the sermon, I want you to help me a little bit because, you know, I'm not up here that often and it's a little more uh, nerve-wracking for me possibly than it is for, for Derek who does it all the time. Every now and then I'm going to ask you, what is the name of our church? And I want you to pretty much yell back at me, Common Ground. Okay, so let's practice real quick. You're going to get sick of doing it by the end of today, all right? But I want you to be forceful with it, all right? What's the name of our church? Common Ground. All right. That's pretty good. Yeah, there's no in the name part. Sorry. Well, that would have been good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Maybe I should say that every time. All right. So let's try that one more time. What's the name of our church? It's in the name. There you go. All right. Y'all are going to do that whether I want you to or not now, aren't you? Yeah. So throughout the message today, I'm going to do that every now and then. So that means you got to pay attention. You got to stay on track. If you uh, find yourself waking up when we do that, that's okay. You'll, you can get back in with us. All right. Now, um, I heard this story in a sermon one time, and it stuck with me because I could picture myself doing this exact activity. All right, This pastor was looking out his window into the backyard next door, and he could see this little boy with a baseball bat and a baseball. And he could hear him because the little boy was doing his own kind of sports broadcasting of this amazing moment that he was about to have. And he heard him say, all right. And Paul steps up to the plate, greatest hitter in the world, right? And he's got the ball in his hand. And if you've never done this, it's a little tricky to toss the ball and then get your hands ready and hit it. So here he is, greatest hitter in the world, bottom of the ninth, World Series on the line. Here comes the pitch, swing, strike one. Okay, he's not, he's, he's not thrown off, picks up the ball. All right, greatest hitter in the world. It's his next chance. Here we go, toss it up, swing, strike two. So he's getting a little worried now. Picks up the ball. He's got one more chance, of course. Throws it up. Swing. Miss. Strike three. He looks at the ball. Stands there thinking for a second. And then he says, greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> right? Struck him out. It was just a change of perspective, right? He didn't let his failure stop him. Sometimes what we need is just a change of perspective. Where a lot of people might see obstacles, God sees opportunity. We've talked about this a lot during the pandemic, that God is on the move even though so many things are against the gathering of his people. You know, it's weird to worship with mask on. All of those things are strange, but God is moving. We baptized more people in the first month of the year than we did all last year combined. God is moving. 
where, he's, where we see obstacles and difficulties, God sees opportunity. So let's pray together. God, I just thank you for your perspective. I thank you that we can submit ourselves to you and we can serve you and we can be faithful to you and we can watch you move despite all the things that might be against us. God, the greatest revivals in history are in places where Christians were the most oppressed and persecuted. And so, God, I pray that in our culture, as we seem to be coming against more and more difficulty, more and more obstacles, that we'd find ways to share who you are and what you've done and then watch you do amazing things. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. So we've been following these missionary journeys of Paul as we've gone through Acts. But I want to remind you, real quick, before we start thinking about how wonderful Paul is, I want to remind you that Paul was Saul. All right, And let's not forget who Saul was. These verses in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's people that were following Jesus, any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. All right, so sounds like a great guy. Really really pleasant. He, He sounds really dangerous, actually. Someone you don't want any part of as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. You did not want to see Saul anywhere close to you. And here's the part a lot of people conveniently forget. Saul was extremely religious. Saul was a very religious person in his culture. And who were these murderous threats being breathed out against? It was the followers of Jesus, the way. And his motivation was purification. His motivation was keeping his religion the way he thought it was supposed to be practiced. And to purify these new followers of Jesus out of it. To protect the understanding of worship that he believed was correct. He thought he was doing what was right. And he was willing to imprison and execute those that were saying something different than he believed was right. An encounter with Saul would not go well for those that believed in and proclaimed Jesus as Messiah. And we have examples of that, like the stoning of Stephen that we looked at a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, this view is sadly similar to how I think a lot of the world views religious people today. Is that we're just against. We just want to we just want to purify things and keep things out. Sounds kind of similar. That was Saul. But then Saul met Jesus on the, way to, on the road to Damascus and his perspective was changed. Where the Christians of the day saw incredible obstacles when they would see Saul, God saw an opportunity. And Saul becomes Paul, the missionary that we've seen these last few weeks. God used in amazing ways who wrote almost half of the New Testament. Saul became Paul because of a change of perspective after meeting Jesus. Now, I want to give you that context because it's good to be reminded as we go further into Acts of who Paul was because it shows that incredible transforming power of God. It shows what God can do and what God can use and how God can take what seems like an obstacle and turn it into an opportunity. Now, what's the name of our church? It's in the name. That's right. All right, so on to our passage for today. I'm going to skip a little bit 
because I want to focus on the events at the end of this chapter in Acts chapter 17. Because Paul ends up in Athens alone. He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him from Berea. And he has a really cool encounter. Um, I'm going to read Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 21 to get us started. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. As he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. And in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know... What this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So right off the bat, we see Paul in Athens, and he has a burden. He has a burden for the city. He has a burden for what he sees taking place in this culture. And Athens was a center of culture in the world at this time. They considered themselves enlightened. They considered themselves a better version of what it meant to be human. Does that sound familiar at all? They were more reasoned. They were more educated. They were more tolerant. And they were very spiritual. They had an advanced government, culture, and economy. It was the intellectual capital of the known world. And on top of that, they were very spiritual, perhaps too spiritual. Historians say they worshipped as many as 30,000 gods and goddesses in their mythology. 30,000. I don't know how you keep up with that. Uh, That's a pretty thick book. Um, 30,000. The streets were lined with these idols, with these gods, with these altars. One famous quote is that it was easier to find a god than a man in Athens at this time. So they wanted to be sure everything was included. Don't want to leave anything out. But Paul has a burden. He's provoked in his spirit because he realizes with all this going on, they do not know the one true God. And his son who he sent to save the world. They do not know the one true God. So Paul's waiting for his buddies to arrive. He sees this culture of idols and he is stirred up. And what does he do? What action does he take? He starts walking around telling everybody how wrong they are, right? He starts arguing in the streets with everybody. No. It specifically says he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews, and he talked to anyone he could in the marketplace. And he even exchanged ideas. So to exchange ideas, you've got to be listening some, too, right? He listened. The word reasoned actually just means he started up a conversation. He was willing to talk to them. He moved toward the people. He moved where they were. And he talked to them. He started a conversation. What's the name of our church? Common Ground. It's in the name. Don't be shy about it if you want to do it. It's all right. So here's the question. When we look out at our culture and we see the areas that don't line up with the truth of Scripture, when we see the ways that people are are off track with the truth of what it means to follow God and know His Son, do we get stirred up? Are we provoked in our spirit? I think we are. I think a lot of us are. We know things aren't the way they're supposed to be in God's eyes. But what action do we take? Are we like Paul? 
I want us to examine three key questions that will help us determine if we have developed this heart like Paul or if maybe we're still a little bit like Saul. We want to be like Paul. First question, do you move toward or away from those you might disagree with? Do you move toward or away from those you might disagree with? Remember where Paul started as Saul. His original approach was to breathe murder against those that disagreed with his traditions. And now, knowing the truth, knowing Jesus, having been miraculously changed by his power, he moves toward those who disagree with him to start a conversation and breathe life. So we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to move toward and invest relationally in those who think differently or are different from us in some way? Are we willing to move toward? It's good to be reminded of what Paul said in Ephesians 6.12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I would submit to you, if something has flesh and blood, it's not our enemy. People are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. People who disagree with us are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy. So just like Paul, we're called to move toward them and start a conversation. And Paul saw that opportunity in Athens. What's the name of our church? Common Ground. It's in the name. Now, I'm going to give you a bad example from me, right? This is how not to do it, okay? When I travel by myself, it doesn't happen often, but I tend to put on the do not disturb sign vibes. You know those people? I got the headphones. I got the hat pulled down. I might even have a hoodie on. I'm, I'm saying with everything, all of my uh, signals are, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to deal with you. I just want to be left alone so I can do my traveling thing and get to where I need to go. Well, the problem with that is sometimes when I'm on the plane, I'm needing to do some work for church. So I open my computer and it's all about music that's uh, praising God and planning a service and, and how that needs to go together or writing a sermon and opening my Bible and, and studying so that I can be ready to, to give this sermon. So here I am with these vibes of leave me alone, walls all around. And I sit next to someone. And you know, there's always going to be that person. It seems like God does that on purpose. They sit in the middle even though they don't need to. You know, those kind of people. Uh, and they want to they talk the entire time. And they're like, what are you working on? Oh, it's a sermon I'm going to preach next week. What's it about? What's about how Christians should move toward people and, and start conversations? <laughs> oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that how that works? God just like, hey, uh, uh, let me teach you something real quick. Um, but what's, what's amazing is when God moves in someone to start that conversation, I've had the most amazing God conversations on planes with people that are not believers at all. Something about that environment, finding out you're a pastor, and they suddenly want to open their heart to you and tell you all of their stuff and how life has been so difficult. And it's so easy to explain to them that Jesus is the answer for the brokenness of the world that we all experience, for the brokenness that sin brings into our lives and into our hearts. Like I told you, I was, I'm a bad example, but it just shows how much God can do when we're open to having the conversation, sometimes even against our will, kind of like me. 
we got to have the heart of Paul. We must move toward others. Instead of seeing obstacles, instead of putting up walls, we've got to see opportunities, uh, even with those who might disagree. You know what my do not disturb vibe, I think the signal it sends, and I'm really sad to say this, the signal it sends is that I'm more bothered by lost people than actually having a burden for lost people. And I think if we're honest, we live in the truth of that sometimes. We're often more bothered by lost people than actually having a burden for lost people. It said Paul was provoked in his spirit, not because of the wrongness of it, but because he knew people were lost and off track and needed to know the one true God. One position, when you're bothered by lost people, you're going to move away. You're going to avoid interaction. But when you are burdened for lost people, you're going to move toward them in love and start a conversation. When we see the evidence of lostness in our culture like Paul did in Athens, with 30,000 gods and altars and things everywhere, are we moved to take action or do we simply want to stay in our bubble and complain about it? That's being bothered by lost people. Being burdened for lost people goes and finds common ground and starts a conversation. So, back to the passage. Paul's conversation leads him to interact with these two schools of philosophy, which is kind of interesting. The Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans believed in getting everything out of life they possibly could. Everyone dies. We might as well enjoy ourselves as much as we can before we get there. Right? I know a few people like that. The Stoics were kind of the opposite. They believed that true happiness could only be found by learning not to want any of the pleasures of life. So they kind of had this monk existence. So they were opposites, and they were arguing all the time. These, these philosophers would stand on the street and talk about their philosophy back and forth. These belief systems were at odds. So they didn't only disagree with Paul, they disagreed with each other. And it's kind of an interesting debate scene, I'm sure. And Paul is right in the middle of it. He didn't get the most positive reaction, did he? In verse 18, what did they say about him? said, what does this babbler wish to say? I don't know about you, but that doesn't feel very positive. If you came up to me after the sermon and said, that was a pretty good babble, I wouldn't take that positively, probably. He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Again, not a positive connotation. This word for babbler is actually, it means like a, a bird hunting for food, looking for seeds, pecking around. So what they're saying is he was just kind of hopping around, pecking around at different ideas, bringing them together from various places and putting them together in a way that was meaningless. This guy's just kind of an idiot. I don't know what he's talking about. But here Paul has changed his approach and where most would see obstacles, he saw an opportunity. So instead of focusing on the, the ways that they disagreed, he started the conversation and it opened a door because these Greeks couldn't help themselves. You notice it said they spent all their time sitting around sharing ideas. This is what they thought you know, life was about. So Paul's expressing this new idea, and they just can't help themselves. They don't want to leave any knowledge out. They invite him to further explain this message in a more formal setting. And he stands up in front of them, and he starts another conversation. Look at verses 22 to 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, 
to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of this earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they would seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the first thing Paul does is find common ground. And what's the name of our church? Common ground. That's right. It's in the name. He shows that he's been carefully observing them. He's been observing their culture and their beliefs. Here he is in this crazy melting pot of ideas on every subject. Disagreement is everywhere even before he walked in. And of course, much of what they're about, Paul disagrees with. And he was stirred up by what he saw, and he was compelled to take action, and he starts these conversations with anyone he could, wherever he could. He's living out something he said in another one of his letters to the First Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.22, and this is the verse that uh, was put on Derek's heart when he first felt led to, to plant our church. In the New Living Translation, it says, Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. And that leads us to our second question to see how we're doing it, developing this heart of Paul. Are we looking for common ground? <laughs> are we moving toward people that we might disagree with? And are we looking for common ground? When we encounter people... We so often focus on the differences first, don't we? I'm a Republican. You're a Democrat. I believe masks are stupid. You think we should wear two. I eat Chick-fil-A. You don't. That's an important difference, by the way. I'm churched. You're not. I believe in Jesus. You don't. Just go down the list. You, you cut your grass. I don't. Uh, there's all kinds of things we can focus on. We focus on the differences. Haven't we truly become experts at identifying these things before anything else? I think it's really sad. Our culture is screaming about equality, while at the same time focusing on dissecting differences to the smallest degree, only adding to the perceived division. I'm going to leave that up for a minute because that's a lot to chew on. Our society is screaming about how everything should be equal. Representation, you just go down the line. Everything should be equal all, all over the place. But at the same time, they're focusing on the smallest differences, only adding to the division. Have you seen how this has worked? We're so focused on how we're different. There can be no equality. And it's influencing the church as well. We've got to do something different. We've got to follow the example of Paul and start by finding what's the name of our church? Common, Common ground. ground. That's right. 
Here's the thing. This wasn't Paul's idea. He was following the example of Jesus. One of the things they called Jesus was friend of sinners. And it was meant as a put down. It was meant as a negative from the religious leaders. But Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. Listen to what he said in Mark 2, 16 and 17. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus found a way to find common ground. We've got to stop trying to find and resolve every difference first. Instead, we start by finding common ground, and we have a conversation. Don't start with where we're different. Start with common ground. So back to the passage. How does Paul find that common ground here? He shows he knows something of their culture and beliefs, doesn't he? He's got specific examples of what he's observed as he's walked around. He's not talking from ignorance. He noticed that in their effort to be all-inclusive, they had created this altar to the unknown God. Just to be safe, right? They didn't want to leave out anything because, you know, they didn't want that God to zap them. And Paul says, what you call unknown, I'm here to proclaim to you, I know. And he is the one true God, creator of all things, who calls you to repent and follow him. Paul even uses a quote from one of their poets to, to bridge that gap to the truth. And that truth is the gospel. He doesn't find common ground to pat them on the back and tell them everything's okay. This is an important thing to remember. We don't find common ground to sort of then have a kumbaya moment. Hey, we can all live and be happy with one another. We find common ground to bridge to sharing the truth. It's another mistake we can make. Finding common ground and loving others does not mean we must sacrifice or hide the truth. Our conversation is started and common ground is established. Paul shares the truth and he trusts God with the results. That's the key. We start the conversation, we share the truth, and we trust God with the results. And what was that truth? Again, Verses 29 to 31, he says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Remember, there's 30,000 gods in this culture. They're not an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Again, talking about Jesus. He's going to judge based on the righteousness of Jesus, and he's proven it by bringing him, rising him from the dead. Okay? This is a truth. This is a real thing. This unknown God can be known. And he says this, this extremely simple message. The one true God is real. He calls for us to repent because he will judge based on the righteousness of Christ, whom he sent and has raised from the dead. Paul says his thing. And then he steps down off the stage, kind of drops the mic, and leaves the results to God. And we see the results. Look at verses 32 to 34. It says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So we see immediately there's three different results. Some mocked him. 
They're like, you're crazy. Resurrection from the dead? Come on, man. What are you talking about? Some wanted to hear more, but they wanted to push it to a later time. I'm not ready right now, but I'll listen to you a little more later. But some joined him as he left, and they believed, two of which are named specifically right here in this verse, in verse 34. What's the name of our church? And that leads to the third question. Are we thinking too much about conversion and not enough about conversation? You know, I don't know about you, but I've lived a lot of my life with this pressure of conversion growing up in the church, this pressure of conversion. We hear things like, we are plan A and there is no plan B. Or God chooses to work through his people, not around them. Phrases we use right here in our church, and they're amazing and wonderful, and I never want to stop. But sometimes we bring baggage to those, don't we? We hear those phrases and we begin to put the burden of the results on our skillful religious debate interactions. And that's not the intent. God calls on us to be faithful in sharing who he is and what he's done in our lives. But we trust the results to him. God's called on us to be faithful, to share our story, to share the truth of who he is and what he's done. But we trust the results to him. And what might those results be? Well, some will mock us. Some will think we're crazy, that we're way off track. We don't pressure those people. We pray for them and we look for another opportunity to find common ground and share the truth. Some will say they want to hear more, but they're not ready. They'll just put us off. We continue those conversations whenever possible. We continue sharing Jesus, the truth of who he is and what he's done. Some will believe but we understand it's not because of our skillful debate interactions. It's only because of the saving power of God. So Paul was stirred up by what he saw in Athens. He spent some time learning, participating in the community, finding common ground, and then he took action by starting these conversations and sharing Jesus wherever he could. He shared it in the synagogues with the Jewish religious leaders. He shared it in the marketplace with whoever he could come in contact with. And then he had this moment in the Areopagus where he shared it with the the leading thinkers of the day, of the culture. And when he shared the gospel, he showed them there was something better. He didn't just focus on how they were wrong. He shared with them that there was something better, and that better is the Savior that God has sent to save us from our sins, give us his righteousness and his life so that we could live eternally with God forgiven. We've got to follow the example of Paul. We've got to ask these three questions to see if we're developing his heart. Are we moving toward or away from those we disagree with? Are we actively looking for common ground to open the door? Are we more worried about conversion than having the conversation? Therefore, we become paralyzed and don't do anything. This is also the example of Jesus. Remember, Paul used to be Saul, and then he met Jesus, and Jesus changed him, and so this is, this is how Jesus wanted it done we got to stop staring at all the differences and the obstacles and start finding the opportunities to share the truth of the gospel with those that might think differently, with those that might act differently, might even disagree with us. We need to follow that example of Jesus. It's not the sick that need a physician. Wait, it is the sick, right? The sick are the ones that need the physician. The lost are the ones that need to be found in Christ. So let's find common ground. What's the name of our church? Oh.
That's right. And it's in the name. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the example of Paul. God, I thank you that he used to be Saul because it gives me so much encouragement. When I'm off track, when I'm not following this example that you've given us in Scripture, I know that there's still hope for my heart to change and for you to use me. God, help us to be reminded that it's only because of you that anyone finds Jesus. You've chosen to use us. You want us to be faithful. You want to see us have those conversations and share that truth. God, help us to understand how to be able to have conversations and disagree without it becoming combative. Help us to be able to share your truth faithfully as we seek to see others experiencing this incredible abundant life that you've given. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you and follow you. And it is in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to move into a time of response. Maybe today as you've heard this, you've realized, I've never surrendered my life to Christ. There's several ways you can let us know that. You can put it on your Connect card and put it in the boxes. You can meet me in the back and we can talk about it and pray about it. We would love to talk with you about it. That's why we exist. We want to see more people experience who Jesus is and what he's done. And today might be the day for you. We're also going to be taking communion, so there'll be a lot of people moving around. Communion is the reminder of what Jesus was willing to do to make our relationship with God possible. He was willing to die. He was willing for his body to be broken and his blood to be spilled so that our sins could be forgiven. And if you were the only one, he would have done it for you. And so for believers, when we come and we take the, the juice and the bread, it's a solemn thing. It's a reminder that our relationship with God is only possible because of what Jesus was willing to do out of love for us to offer that forgiveness, to offer that salvation. So take a moment to be ready in your spirit as the team begins to, to worship and sing. We want this to be about you and how God wants you to interact with him. If he leads you to sing and join in, that's great. If he leads you to pray, that's great. You can write prayer requests and put them in our prayer walls so that those can be prayed for during this coming week by the prayer team. Whatever God leads you to do, we want this to be a time where you can say yes to him. So as you feel led, come forward and take communion and worship with us.